It's timely. It's insightful. It's motivating. It's empowering. It's time with Fred, your inspirational broadcast with host Fred Gaddy. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Time with Fred podcast. This is a podcast that challenges mindsets and paradigms that hold us back. The podcast can be heard on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Podbean, and TuneIn. Today, I have the privilege um, of having with me um, a very special guest uh, with a very powerful story um, to share with us, and you definitely want to stick around for this one. Uh, the topic we're going to be discussing is resilience and positivity through adversity. I have with me um, Omar Dieng, who I, I met uh, about a week or so ago um, and just connected immediately. And I heard Omar share a very powerful story of how he was able to overcome um, or go through one of life's challenging moments. And um, I'm going to introduce Omar and going to have him just jump right in and, um, and, and tell us the story. So Omar, thank you so much for coming on the Time with Fred podcast today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Fred. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. The pleasure is all mine. So, Omar, just a brief background for our, for our audience, for our listeners. Um, do you want to share a little bit about you, your background, and um, before we jump into uh, the discussion tonight? Absolutely. Yeah, my name is uh, Omar Jang, and I am a motivational speaker and a life purpose coach. I'm also an author and, uh, and a fellow podcaster, by the way. And I am also, my background, actually, my my corporate background is really in, in IT, HR, and of course, customer service. Like I know many of us have had journeys throughout professional careers, but now I, I spend a lot of my time as a motivational speaker, like I said, and a, and a coach. Thanks for that intro. And sorry about uh, butchering your name there, Umar Jang. Thanks for correcting that one. Uh, but oh, no problem. It, it's, a, you know, it's a French spelling of my name, which <laughs> no one ever gets right. So. Where, where, where are you originally from, Omar? I am originally from Senegal, which is a small French-speaking country in, in West Africa. Okay. And uh, when did you move to the United States? I've been here since, uh, it's been 20, about 24 years, I want to say. So I've been here for quite a while now. I am a, basically a, a naturalized American. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Good. And Omar, it's, it's interesting as you, was, uh, as you were sharing your bio um, about all the things that you do. Um, there is always that journey, right? Oftentimes, you know, when we see people or when we hear people talk, it's where, where we usually hang up on who they are now, what they're doing now, right? But very rarely do we get the privilege of kind of following um, them through hear them talk about their, their journey um, that brought them to where they are now but you have a very powerful story who you are now and what you do has been shaped largely right by by your experiences through life and you shared a very powerful story about how um, your family I guess came under an attack what many years ago can you can we share a little bit about that and, and exactly what happened um, with this particular experience that you went through yeah, absolutely. I absolutely believe that we are who we are today because of experiences that we've had. And most of those experiences tend to be generally hardships and challenges that we went through. When I was a teenager, my family was attacked by a, a mob 
really. We were we were sitting at home, and uh, all of a sudden there was a really the the first day started out being we heard about attacks on on people who were of of uh, of Sen- from Senegal of of Senegalese descent. And at the time we were living in a in a country north of Senegal called Mauritania. Actually, I was born in Mauritania. Yeah. And, but my parents are originally from Senegal. So we really, the only country I knew up to that point was really Mauritania and Senegal when I, I went to Senegal on vacation occasionally, occasionally. And what happened is there was a disagreement between two, two uh, people at the border. So it was a herder and a, and a, and a shepherd really that between, they were Senegalese and Mauritanian at the border so further south of us. And that turned into, it was a minor disagreement really that turned into a fight. And within about a matter of days, people started killing each other, or actually on both sides. Wow. And, and the news really got around the country. And I lived at the time, I lived in the capital of Mauritania, which was Nouakchott, and that's where my family lived. And all of a sudden the situation went from just minor riots on the streets to actually killings. So my family, all of a sudden, we found ourselves because we were of Senegalese descent, having to actually hide in our homes because our neighbors' home homes were being looted and attacked and burned down. I was literally watching people running down the street with TVs and, and armoires on their heads. And at some point we knew it was coming. So we actually helped hide some of our our Senegalese neighbors in our house to, because they were gonna get killed. And what happened next was that some of the people in the mob lived in the neighborhood. So they knew that, that occasionally they would see Senegalese people coming and go from, from our homes. So they actually came a mob armed with machetes and makeshift weapons came to our door and they literally knocked on the door trying to, to tear it down. Wow. And it would have been horrible because in the home, like I said, we had people that were hiding our neighbors. Had they made it past the door, they would have killed all of us and the neighbors that we were hiding. But by the grace of God, I was stressed. I just came from school at the time. I was stressed as a, as a, with a, the national attire, which is it's really a very, very uh, we call it a grand boo-boo. Uh, in a turban. So I looked like the locals and I spoke the language very well. So my sister and I walked to the door and we talked them down. We said, no, 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 we are, we were born and raised here, which was true. We, there are no Senegalese here. You know, we are completely uh, on your side. And we just said what they wanted us to say, what they wanted to hear. So they would walk away. Wow. And that's how we averted them really Tear, knocking down the door and walking in and, and literally slaughtering us. That was a very bold uh, move for you to, uh, to go to the door, right? I mean, did you expect that you were going to be able to talk them down with your sister at all? No, it was a Hail Mary, uh, for, for lack of a better term. It, we, we had a choice when that happened. When they knocked on the door, we all looked at each other and our, we were scared. And, well, my mom couldn't go to the door. My, my sisters couldn't go to the door because... My sisters were not that, my older sisters rather, were not that fluent in the Lokan language. And so my sister and I, my, my older sister and I walked up and we just knew that we had to do something. We stood up, walked up to the door, 
and we started talking. And I, it's funny because I was looking back at that moment and thinking, a choice. Had I made the wrong choice, had we made the wrong choice, we would have been dead. And that's not, I know this is a, a story that maybe not a lot of people have had, but but sometimes life will present you with choices. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Yeah. And depending on what you do, it could literally change your life forever. And not taking action can actually be a choice. Hmm. And in, in our case, it would have been a deadly choice. And so we had to make the only choice possible, which was take the risk and talk, talk them down. And confront and confront the, the adversity, confront the, the risk. So the Absolutely. Story. Absolutely. And so how, how easy was it to, to convince them? Was it just a matter of telling them, you know, we're, we're on your side, we're locals, whatever, and then they walked away? Or, 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 did, it, or did that go on for a while? How, how did that whole conversation happen? It, it probably went on for a couple of minutes, uh, and it lasted like an eternity at the time, uh, because one of them pushed back and saying, no, you, we've seen Senegalese. We, we insisted no, no, and we said, no, my mom sells, sells items. My mom used to sell uh, milk, uh, milk that she made this is a, a not this is back kind of pasteurized milk that she made and sold it uh, this was after my, my 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 father died just about four years before that and basically taking out our sole income in the household so my mom had to do something to help us survive and she used to sell knickknacks and 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 oranges and fruit fruit but anyway, we, we told them that, well, people come to our house to buy milk all the time, and people of all races and generations come here because of that. And that's how we were able to convince them, because some of them actually came to our house at some point to buy milk mm-hmm. uh, from my mom. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was convincing, you know, convincing enough that they actually walked away. Wow. And how old were you again? Um, at this time? I, was, uh, I was about six, 16 years old wow. at the time. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And... Yeah, so that was that was uh, probably one of the scariest, scariest thing that I had to do. Uh, and of course, after that happened, we knew that it was only a matter of time before they came back and uh, nothing in the world would convince them. And at that time, I think it was a short, about a week after that, that uh, a couple of days after that, most of the people in the house left, including some of my sisters, and I wanted to, I was in school at the time, I wanted to finish the semester. And I had a friend who lived across town who also wanted to stay back. And we, we stayed back. But, uh, but the, after that, things just went from bad to worse. And, yeah, and uh, when I look back, thinking about how I got out of that situation, because at some point, my mom and I got separated. Mm. Uh, when we, we had to leave the house, because it just, we knew they were coming back mm. at some point. And we went to stay with a one of my mom's friends, who was Mauritanian, but a good friend of hers. And that's how we were able to uh, to actually. Well, the plan really was we we couldn't live in in all together because we would attract too much attention. Mm-hmm. So the plan was my siblings would actually go to the Senegalese embassy first, and then from there they could be evacuated mm-hmm. and go to Senegal. Well. What happened is that right before, right after they left, the Senegalese embassy, the Senegalese embassy and the Mauritanian embassy, the two countries cut ties, diplomatic ties. So our only way of getting out of the country was now gone. Wow. And so we were stuck. That's when we moved out and went to live with a, a relative, of a, a friend of my mom's. 
did you lose it? Did you lose any members of your family? Uh, fortunately, not, uh, because the large majority of my family, of my extended family, lived at the border between Senegal and Mauritania, so they were able to quite easily uh, cross over. And uh, for some of the some who stayed behind, uh, the situation was not too bad in certain certain countries or certain states around the border. And they were, they managed to stay there, and they were really well immersed in the population as well. But uh, yeah, fortunately, we didn't lose any members of of uh, of my family. But we basically lost everything. I mean, everything we ever worked for, including our homes. We had a house that we owned. We had land, and all that was just gone overnight. Wow! And so, how long did this? Um would, could this be described as a civil war, a tribal war or something? Yeah, I think it's described as an as ethnic clash okay. because the, the genesis behind all this is that Mauritania is in a spot in Africa, if you look at a map, where they, they separate, they're really on the Sahara Desert, they separate North Africa and, and West Africa. Well, North Africa is mostly populated by 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 Moors and more by Arabs, basically, and in Mauritania, they well in in south of Mauritania, so Senegal, West Africa, Ghana, uh, Nigeria, all those countries are Black Africans. Well, Mauritanians have the largest population is they're they're more so they're lighter skinned, and they wanted to they had a president that wanted to align them more with the North and. Uh, and the only way they saw that they could do that was by really shedding, if you will, the any any West African identity, mm-hmm. so they could be closer to the North Africans. But as a result of that, the country became more and more under that president became more and more radicalized in terms of focusing more on on uh, getting closer to to the North. And as a result of that, that there have been ethnic tensions between black Africans and Moors, Mauritanians, white Mauritanians, for going back to the 1960s, actually, because my mom used to tell me stories of them having smaller clashes or disagreements, but never at that level. And I think it, in 19, this was 1989, it boiled, boiled to a point where it was unavoidable for the two countries to clash. And... Uh, Really, so what, what ended up happening was that as a result of that, I, when, we, when I went to stay with my mom's friend, my mom went out during a curfew and she got arrested. So that was the last time I saw her. She went to get bread, never came back. Wow. So all of a sudden, I'm 16 years old. I'm in a country where I have no relatives. I don't know anyone. And I had to find my way to, to Senegal somehow. Fortunately, my mom had planned for me, for us to, if something happened, she had told us to try and find our way back to Senegal. And that was really the single thought that I focused on to say, no matter what happened, I'm going to find my way to get to Senegal. Uh, but when, when she was arrested, and uh, I found out later that she was kicked out of the, the country in Mauritania, which is actually a good thing, uh, because she could have ended up in prison and never seen, never ever seen Again, I ended up actually going to a Red Cross refugee camp where I stayed for, for about a week. And that's a whole nother 
experience that that really opened my eyes to to uh, a different part of life and, and struggle. So, did you eventually uh, reunite uh, with your with your mother? Yeah, we eventually did. I when I after I stayed at the Red Cross refugee camp. At that point, things got so bad that the international community noticed the the tensions between the two countries. So countries like Algeria and Morocco and France and uh, even partly the United States Mm -hmm. uh, because Mauritania and Senegal were former colonies of France. Mm -hmm. The French people felt an an obligation to intervene and do something. Mm -hmm. So the international community put together a an air bridge, if you will, so a number of planes that would fly from the Mauritanian capital to the Senegalese capital. And I managed to get on one of those cargo cargo flights and landed in Senegal, but I wasn't 100% sure where my my uh, my family was. I, I had an idea that they were at my, my uncle's house, which I hadn't seen since I was a kid. So I, I had one number and one 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 address in my head that I use and I went from city to city asking people, do you know where the city is? Wow. And that's how I literally got into the, the same town that they were in. And I was asking around, asking about my uncle. Do you know my uncle? His name is blah, blah, blah. And eventually people directed me to the house. And I remember when I walked through the door, one of my cousins opened the door and she looked at me and she was like, uh, can I help you? Cause she hadn't seen me either since I was a, I was six years old. And I said, well, my name is Umar Jang. I am the son of, you know, so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And then she just hugged me and then just, you know, people, and I just heard people exploding, crying in the living room that was adjacent to the door. And my mom was there. My wow. uncle was there. Wow. All my sisters were there, wow. my, all my cousins. And apparently they thought I was dead. Um, so it was, they screamed so loud that all the neighbors came out and, uh, it was just, it was a very emotional moment. Wow. Wow. And so how long did this, this all take? I mean, from between you leaving um, Mauritania, finding your way to Senegal, how, how long of, of a process was that? It, it took about a month okay. from the time that I got separated from my mom to actually finding them again in, in Dakar because we landed in several cities. Actually, one thing I, I didn't mention in, in my story in, in, the, in the group where we met, uh, Freddie, was that I actually stayed in another camp for, for a day when I landed in Senegal. Mm. And, uh, and I, 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 can't, I can't even imagine. It opened my eyes to the, the, the plight of refugees. These camps are overcrowded. These camps are, the toilets are overflowing. Mm. And imagine... Um, you know, I don't want to make it gross, but right. really bad conditions right. that right. you don't want to be in. Mm-hmm. And it really opens your eyes. Uh, but it took about a month for me to actually reunite with my family. But that month felt like an eternity. Yeah. And this was all because your mom gave you like an escape strategy, right? Because she told you if you, whatever happens, find your way to Senegal, right? Yeah, absolutely. That was the best plan that you could have ever made was, it's a very simple, it was, she sat us down after they came to the door that first time and said, these guys are eventually going to come back. So here's our plan. We have to find a way to go to Senegal. That's the ultimate goal. 
Now, the way we're going to do it is, you know, you, my sisters were going to go to the Senegalese embassy, then my mom and I would join them later. But the fact that she made it so simple and had a plan to, to you know, I, she was hoping for the best, but then planning for the worst, that really saved my life because had she not said that, I maybe I would have figured out mm-hmm. to go to Senegal, but mm-hmm. there's a chance that I could have ended up in some other country, yeah. Yeah. you know, in the wrong yeah. plane even. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that, and it brings to mind, um, Omahar, some of these values that we pass on, right, whether we're passing on like we're doing now, sharing with our audience or passing on to family members, friends, whatever. Some of these values are, are, are powerful. I was interviewing um, another gentleman, um, Hugh Burton, who uh, was jailed in 1991 for a crime that he did not um, commit. He spent 20 mm-hmm. years or so in, in prison. Um, thankfully, mm-hmm. he, he found an organization called the Innocence Project that took up this case and eventually um, he was exonerated. But it was 20 years and I was asking him, wow. what was it that kept him going through one of the darkest moments of his life? And he shared very two but powerful uh, concepts. He said when he was young, two values that his parents left mm-hmm. him or shared with him uh, were patience and perseverance. And as simple as those lessons were, those were the values or lessons that kept him going through because somehow he knew that if he was patient and if he persevered, he was going to be exonerated and the image was going to come out. And he talked about yeah. how he was, you know, writing, you know, letters upon letters to various organizations over and over again throughout that 20 year uh, time period, Omar. And eventually uh, one of the organizations picked it up and took up his case. And, and um, last year, actually he was on parole for 10 years and, last year was like so in all it was about 30 Mm -hmm. years um you know being shackled and and you talk about these values and as simple as it was mom said you know find your way to to senegal and how important are these values right whether they're as simple as yours or you know the values that we we pass on can you share a little bit about that as we pull it into our main discussion yeah absolutely no i i think that those the values are crucial they there are things that I, I call really anchor mm-hmm. values. Mm. Uh, and they generally, these are values that are core to defining who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. 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 And generally, those are the same values that allow you to survive the hardest of hardships. Mm-hmm. And generally, it's just a single idea, a single thought, a single belief or principle that drive you to, to actually be able to survive. And, and you told the story of the, of the guy who was in prison for 20 plus years. I mean, it's very similar to what happened yeah. to Nelson yeah. Mandela. Yeah. What was it? 26, yeah. 27 yeah. years yeah. in prison. And yeah, the way he survived was just, he said that he had hope that he was going to see his people at some point. And some of those same values. And I remember when I was being, when I was uh, being raised as a kid, uh, my dad always told me that things happen for a reason. And you have to believe that, you are going to get through it and get past it. So it may sound really complicated, but really, it's really what he taught me was just have faith and have hope. Things happen for you. Have faith, not necessarily, you know, if you have faith in God, absolutely great, but have faith in your ability to survive yeah. that, you know, nothing is going to put on your path, yeah. be put on your path that you cannot yeah. um, overcome, really. And for me, it was that it was, that and when I when I was in the refugee camp, I, I made I, I realized 
that one of the things things that I dealt with, speaking of adversity, was that you well, food was brought in by a truck, and the camp was so overpopulated that when they gave out the food, it was very really really there was a swarm of people that would come and grab mm. the food. So if you were not strong, and I was yeah. at the time, I was really skinny and. And I would try to get food and almost every time I would be crushed by the so, crowd. And survival of the fittest, right? Exactly. It literally was. And, and uh, I realized that after the first couple of times the truck came that if I wanted to survive, I would have to use some of those values that I had, which was my ability to socialize, my ability to seek out other people and be willing to ask for help and to join forces. So I made four friends. These were adults that I made friends with. And we pulled our resources. And with them, I was able to find food and survive. And we became good friends while I was uh, at the camp. So, you know, speaking of values, it's really, you never know when something that your parents or someone teaches you comes into play at some point in your life. And and, and using my own story, Omar, I was uh, perhaps maybe... 17, 18, um, you know, in Ghana, um, where I grew mm-hmm. up. And um, I was going through my, my late grandfather's um, books. He, you know, was an avid reader. And I, um, there was one book that I found, um, The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. Yeah. Um, I was intrigued instantly by the title of the book because um, I was going through a time where I was trying to find myself, my identity and who I was. And I laid hands on that book and I wouldn't let it go. I read that book from cover to cover and that just transformed my life. So a lot of what I am and who I am and, and what I do uh, really was as a result of that one book. So it's interesting how yeah. one experience, you know, an advice or an encounter just radically changes your life, right? Um, but, but Umar, if you're, you know, looking back on, on this, I mean, how would you say mm-hmm. this adversity shaped your life? Or, or made you into who you are today? Any particular lessons through the experience in, it, in itself that kind of shaped or changed you or, or helped you form a different philosophy or perspective at all on life? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, there's several, but one of the ones that's most important for me was really pers- being, having the ability to, to, to have perseverance. So being able to be, to look at a situation and say, if I keep going, I can do this, no matter what it is. And my God, I can't tell you how many times in my life, especially after I came to the United States uh, in the late 1990s, uh, when I first came here, I had to start from scratch, literally. They wouldn't accept my education because it was from a French system. Oh, yeah. And I had to literally start over. And when you start over, what do you do? You take any jobs you can take. So I, I lived in the DC area at the time. So I was a waiter, I was a banquet server, I was a food runner, I was a bike messenger running, running letters uh, between the Senate buildings and I was getting paid like $2.25 an hour. And so all of those things I was able to do because of really the lessons I learned from all those hardships and one of them is really, really, it's literally resilience. I know it sounds corny, but it's really the ability to wake up every day, take a punch in the face and say, hey, I will do better tomorrow and keep going. You know, and just 
believing that something better is going to come out because every single day you're waking up, putting one, one foot after the other mm-hmm. and then pushing through. Mm-hmm. And it also gave me the, the, the willingness to, to aim higher. So it allowed me to be, to, be, to be more trustful of myself and be more ambitious actually to say, okay, given everything that I've went through, I deserve to be successful if I apply myself. And uh, that trait also came out of that. And of course, patience and, and even being more compassionate. When I first came here my, and after I got married, my wife used to say, you know, stop giving money to the, to the people begging. He's just going to go use it and drink. And, and, and I was taught, because I was in that situation, I realized that you have to help others because at some point in my life, someone helped me. So compassion and resilience and, and all of those traits that we need in society to be able to, to survive and move forward. Very powerful lesson here, Omar. And, and, and sometimes we go through life and the severity of the hardships that, that we go through, uh, they're, they're not pleasant. I mean, we even think about what we're going through right now in this country, right, in the form of COVID and all, that, all that's going on. They're not pleasant situations, right? We loathe them. We, 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 and, and there are two ways, I believe, in my opinion, that we can go through. We can accept the fact that this is, this is what the reality is, right? What can I learn from this all? What can I equip myself with to go through? I had a lady on the show um, a few weeks back who, who told me, um, and it was so profound. He said, look, it's like going through the valley of the shadow of death. It's going through it. You yeah. don't stop, right? Just yeah. because it's an adversity does not mean you park or you pitch your tent there and stop. You go through it. And I, I, think, I think it's spot on with, with, your, with, your, with your example there that we go through this um, when you're going through all of that and taking all of it. You had, a, you had an end goal instead. And though, none of those things mm-hmm. stopped you as difficult or as, um, uh, diff- yeah, as, difficult as, as they might have been for you. They didn't stop you. I'm sure there were moments when you probably wondered, um, like the life of most immigrants, like what in the world am I doing here? Right. You, you kept going. And, and, uh, and for folks who are going through, maybe listening to this podcast, Umar, who were maybe going through their own valley of the shadow of death and don't see any end in sight, um, what would you say? I mean, what would you, what, what would you tell them? What I would say is when you are in the thick of it, it's going to feel like, this is never going to end and there is no solution and whatever you do, it's never going to get better. And that's, that's so completely wrong. It will get better. You will come out of it. And, and Fred, your quote is so spot on. It's going through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, it's, I think Winston Churchill, Churchill that said, if you're going through hell, yeah, don't stop, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that's so tr- true because there, there was a time where in my life where I, I worked, three jobs and at the time we had our first born son and I, I I was really struggling. I would get home and have to go to my other job and then other job and then get home at like 5 a.m. or 3 a.m. and have to go back to school the next morning. And my, my I had a single focus and uh, this is something that my, my, my parents taught me, which is if you want to, to get somewhere in life, you have to have faith, that's one. But faith is nothing if you don't take action on what you want to see happen in your life. It, they have to go together. I have faith that I'll be successful, but I have to take action for that 
to come through. So if you're going through a tough time right now, understand that this is a, a struggle. It's going to be one of many struggles. Some are small, some are big and gigantic, and they may appear insurmountable, but you will get through it. Just, just continue doing what you're doing. Keep pushing. Don't, don't give up. Wow, so profound. Omar, one of the questions I love to ask um, my guests um, is, is, is what defines them, right? I've had people share, you know, different stories of adversity and, and I've heard all sorts of things as to what defines them, you know, whether it's the struggle itself or, or it's the experience itself or, or, or a quote or whatever. Um, given what you've gone through, um, and it's still a journey, right? We've not arrived yet yeah. in life. It's, it's a, what, what would you say has defined you or defines you, um, you know, through, through it all? I think I could sum it up in one word, nimble. Hmm. The ability to be nimble. I know, yes, there's a struggle, there's all of that. But if you are not flexible in life, you're going to struggle. Hmm. Just think about things that have changed since 1990 yeah. to now. Yeah. You know, I, the iPhone didn't exist when I first came to the United States. You know, we were using dial-up internet at the time. You know, and, and I could give so many more examples, but yeah. be flexible, whether it's in your job, in your life, in your relationship. Find a way to adapt. You know, don't be so rigid. You know, when, when a storm happens, generally the trees that get uprooted are the trees that, that are so strong and firm and inflexible. The smaller trees generally will bend and lean and but they will survive. So that's how you have to look at things. You know, you have to adapt and be able to, to change. Uh, maybe it's your behavior or just change your perspective on something. And generally you will find that if you do that, there's no situation in life that you can't adjust to. And not only that, but find a solution to getting out of that situation. I love the tree example. I haven't heard that. I mean, because one would expect that the trees that survive are, you know, the big, you know, firm, sturdy ones, right? But no, it's it's the ones that are able to bend um, yeah. or go go with the direction of the world. Oh, that's that's so powerful. I love that. Yeah. Um, so a little bit about, you know, I know you're a motivational speaker and all of that. And would you say mm -hmm. your the experiences that you've gone through life um, have contributed to your chosen professional career right now? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because I, after going through all that, you you see people struggling with things that you were able to overcome at a at a very early age, and you realize that. And especially after talking to people, you talk to them and you realize that uh, they can just by shifting their mindset or by taking a different action or by looking at at it differently they make a breakthrough. They realize, oh, this is, wow, I never thought of it that way. And to your point, Fred, we are defined by our, our experiences and what, what, we, what someone taught us, whether it's a book or, and that can be powerful, but it can also be a limitation, especially for those who've only known a certain world uh, and are, and the thought doesn't cross their minds to to think differently from a different perspective, and that's causing them to be stuck. So it's a matter of just kind of thinking, and then knowing that you know, being able to 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 make a suggestion or or say to someone, "Have you thought about looking at it this way?" And they're like, "Oh my God, yeah, you're right. Exactly. Matter of perspective." And then all of a sudden, every the whole new world opens up for them. 
So wow. that's why really one of the things that I liked about, about talking and coaching people and of course um, public speaking. And, and, uh, and for me, it's, uh, it's all about stories and just, just incepting an idea yeah. or a thought into someone's yeah. mind and letting them, you know, take care of it and, and make it change their lives. Yeah. And, and, and that's really what this whole podcast is about, right? Whether it's right. a, you know, thought leader um, coming to share, you know, some best practices or, or, or just people sharing, you know, the personal stories of, of things that they went through, challenges they went through and how they were able to overcome it. Cause I mean, we're, we all go through yeah. life. We all go through circumstances and you just never know one person's story or some, what someone says, uh, may just be what, um, you know, takes you over that hump. So Omar, as we kind of wrap up here, I want to mm-hmm. definitely thank you, respectful of time here, but just want to thank you for, first of all, who you are, for, for allowing yourself to um, just, just experience life and also giving back. I mean, you could have, you know, this could have mm-hmm. taken you a different direction, but for using your story to, to inspire people, to motivate people, uh, to coach people, to letting them know, I, I think that's really one of the best ways to, uh, to have influence, right? I mean, you can teach from the textbook or whatever that book says, but mm-hmm. I think there is nothing more profound or nothing more real than living it. But living, I right. I haven't lived through, and I don't know how I would have uh, managed through. I mean, your own experiences, but um, I just want to say thank you for 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 you for your story and for all that you're doing. And um, and I'll let you have that last word here. I know you kind of addressed mm-hmm. that hardship piece, but. Um, as we kind of wrap up here, any final thoughts that you want to share with our audience? Um, yeah, I would just say, first of all, thank you to you for, for giving people like me a platform to share their stories. Oh, absolutely. And uh, you have your own unique story, and I would love to have you, you come on, on the podcast yes. on my end yes. as well. I'd love to. Put you behind the mic and, and uh, interrogate you there a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think as a final thought, I would just say uh, there is no one on earth who doesn't face challenges and adversities and it's just a matter of of understanding that you have a harder challenge potentially coming somewhere down your life somewhere down the line these smaller challenges are really stepping stones or if you will trainings to get you ready for that bigger challenge so that you can gracefully tackle that bigger challenge so just food for thought Hmm. can't stop that Nothing else to add to that. Omar, thank you so much for uh, coming on time with Fred tonight, for sharing your story. Um, yeah, thanks for having audience. me. Yeah, absolutely. And to our audience um, for sticking around. And uh, I hope you found something, uh, some valuable lessons out of this. And regardless of whatever you're going through, um, as Omar shared, don't stop. Uh, if there are any values or lessons that have been passed on, hold on to those values. You just don't know uh, what they might end up uh, doing for you. So again, uh, thanks again. And until next time, stay well.